Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the Arizona Diamondbacks and their farm system today. And to do that, I am joined by fellow ASU alum, Nick Picoro. Nick, good to see you, my friend. Kyle, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Nick has been one of our longtime contributors to the Prospect Handbook. And uh, just uh, he and I go back a long ways. I, I tweeted out about this during the World Series. But when I was a senior in college working at the uh, State Press Campus newspaper, Nick came and spoke to us about his career as a Diamondbacks beat writer, how he uh, went about his work, kind of set a good example for all of us. And uh, it's been pretty cool over the years getting to uh, work games and press boxes with him and uh, getting to cover World Series with him last year was a uh, special on a personal note. So uh, it's we kind all of saw that coming, it. didn't we? We all expected <laughs> to be covering a World Series in Arizona last year. I know. I actually had that thought. You know, I was obviously there covering the World Baseball Classic in March, and I got to tell you, I did not expect to be back there in October covering a World Series. <laughs> but there we were. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. They uh, they went on quite a run, man. I I. Um, I mean, just the way the regular season ended, I I thought we were, you know, going to be going to Milwaukee and coming right back home. Uh, it's just the way it felt. Yeah, and, and that's a good place to start. This was a Cinderella run. They went into Milwaukee, fell behind early in both games and, and came back to win both games with good starting pitchers on the mound and Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta. They came out to L.A. Uh, I covered that series and they jumped on Clayton Kershaw right away got to Bobby Miller and then hit four home runs in an inning off of Lance Lynn in game three, a postseason record, and went to Philadelphia and won the final two games after being down three games to two. Uh, no one had won in Citizens Bank Park the entire postseason, and they went in and won back-to-back games with their backs against the wall, ultimately fell in five games to the Rangers in the World Series, but really just an incredible run, an exciting run. A lot of young players, a lot of young talent really stepped up. And Nick, we've talked about over the years, you know, you could see the D-backs – building this well of talent. They went into a rebuild. They drafted, you know, had a couple of high draft picks. They really, really nailed that 2019 draft where they had that draft bonanza of seven of the top 75 picks. But it seems like everything came together, you know, more quickly than expected. What went well here? Because again, I feel like this was, you could see it rising. They were our number two farm system last year, but it, but it really came together, I would say, at least a year ahead of schedule. Right. Um I guess the thing that was most interesting about October to me was how the reality kind of finally caught up with the narrative. Now, obviously, Corbin Carroll um, was everything and more. Um, he was an unbelievable player and was the sort of player that uh, a lot of clubs over the last few decades or you know, probably even further back, that's just as familiar as I am, um, have been able to you know, bring to the big leagues and see their fortunes turn very quickly. I guess like guys that come to mind are uh, Miguel Cabrera with the Marlins, Evan Longoria with the Rays, Chris Bryant with the Cubs, Correa with the Astros, um, you know, guys like that, those, those like foundational pieces that you bring them up and then boom, all of a sudden you're like 10 wins better or something. Like it just changes everything about an organization. Um, and Carol was that now beyond him, it felt like, everybody else was, was sort of lacking, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, you know, the young pitching really didn't deliver the way that it was expected. Uh, Alec Thomas struggled. Uh, Jake McCarthy struggled. Um, I know he's not in the same category of, of prospect or even, even 
age, but Josh Rojas struggled and was sent down. I mean, these were guys that were sort of expected to be those that young foundation that was playing a certain style of baseball. And really the reality of the regular season for the Diamondbacks was that Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly and Christian Walker and Cattell Marte and Corbin Carroll, but a lot of veteran guys were leading the way. Then we got to October and Alec Thomas hit that big home run in, in the NLCS and Brandon fought pitched extremely well. And Moreno who had been very good in, in the regular season, I, I want to give him credit, but like got even better. Like it was just a monster in the playoffs. So it really felt to me like a lot of the stuff that we had sort of talked about and expected maybe for a while, all of a sudden kind of came together and happened there for the, for that stretch in October. Um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how things play out going forward. Um, you, you probably need to remember that it was only a 19 game sample, right? Um, they were the, they were like the best team on the field amazingly for like, I don't know, 13 or 14 of those games. It felt like I could be, it could be exaggerating, but it sure seemed like that was the case. Um, there were, there was even some games they lost that they, they kind of certainly game one of the world series, but it, it felt like they were the better team. Um, but like, this is a club that got outscored during the regular season, you know? Um, and it was a club that admittedly they played better when expectations were really low. Um, you know, I think that that was a thing that changed when they got into the playoffs after pressing so hard to get there the, that last week of September. And uh, for some of the second half, it kind of felt like it was a team that everybody all of a sudden now expected to be good and they couldn't really live up to it. What's that going to look like next year? Um, are they closer to that team in October? Are they going to be able to handle that pressure? Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, the way that those young guys played in October gives you some hope that that things are are going in the right direction. And they made some moves, obviously, this winter to make you feel better about things as well. So uh, it's 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 probably the most interesting a Diamondbacks team has been heading into a season in a really long time. So it should be a fun year and, and fun to watch how it unfolds. Yeah, and I think you hit on an important point there. It's not like this great farm system, everyone came up and hit. Corbin Carroll alone is is such a hugely impactful player. But you're right. I mean, Geraldo Perdomo, he was an all-star last year, but you know, he kind of was what we thought, slightly below average offensively, great defender, hit ninth in the order. Alec Thomas had a rough year in some ways, but had a few big moments. I, I think what they did a really good job of is they built this roster a bunch of different ways. You had some good drafts, but they also made some really good trades. You mentioned the Gabriel Moreno edition along with Lourdes Gurriel. That was one of the better trades of the offseason last year. And, and it's over multiple years. You know, Zach Gallon was a trade for Jazz Chisholm signing Merrill Kelly out of Korea. They found ways to continually add guys over the course of many years. It's not like they just built this great farm system and all of a sudden it all flourished at once. It was multiple trades over multiple years. It was multiple draft classes over multiple years. We saw people from the 2017, 18, 19, and 20 draft classes all on that World Series roster. So I, I think it's important to note that they did a good job kind of steadily adding over time. And, and for me, it just speaks to, I think, a healthy sign of an organization that they've been able to consistently add talent through multiple avenues over many years. And that bodes well for the future. And, and we've seen them continue to add this offseason. You alluded to it. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez to give them some more starting pitching depth. They traded for Eugenio Suarez, a big power hitter and a, and a great clubhouse leader. They re-signed Lourdes Gurriel. 
So this is a team that that does feel like it's on the upswing. It wasn't a case of, oh, everything just clicked all at once in one great moment. I do feel like there's a pattern here of they've gotten better and now we're seeing it start to really blossom. Yeah. A couple of things I would add to that is is they extended Carol, which yep. which is huge and yep. and kind of you know makes that window open even wider for even longer. Um, and then the other thing I guess that that sort of is interesting about the way that club was built was, you know, you think back to 2021 when they lost 110 games and and even at the end or you know, at the deadline, I guess, in 2020, when they were struggling really bad and, um, uh, or, or even take it back a little bit further when, when Goldschmidt, Pollock and, and Corbin all departed in the same off season, yeah. I guess they had a lot of opportunities to kind of strip it down and kind of do what so many other organizations have done. And they opted to keep Cattell Marte and keep Zach Gallon and Christian Walker guys that would have had Merrill Kelly, um, that would have had value at deadlines. Um, and, uh, and all of those guys wound up playing really key roles on a team that went to the world series. So they were, it was, it was built in a, yeah, they, they made a lot of good decisions along the way. Um, and, uh, and kind of had it all, you know, where they were rewarded for it there, there in October. Crazy. Keeping good players yields good results. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and you're, and again, Christian Walker was a waiver claim, and you mentioned Cattell Marte was a good trade, so they, they've done a good job both acquiring players, keeping them, and now they're in good position moving forward. Nick, we talked about a lot of homegrown talent for the Diamondbacks, and Jordan Lawler it seems to be next in line. He was, in many cases, considered the best prospect in the 2021 draft class, fell to the D-backs at sixth overall. And sped up the minors pretty quickly, reached the majors two years after he was being drafted. We saw a glimpse of him last year in the major leagues. He's the number one prospect in this system right now. What strides did he make last year? And what can D-backs fans expect from him? Is there a Corbin Carroll type of impact here? What What's the future looking like? Yeah, I guess starting first with the strides, probably the most obvious ones uh, were on defense. Um, this was a guy that kind of a lot of people had questions about whether he was going to be able to stick at shortstop at the end of the 2022 season. Um, you heard it from all corners and including, you know, even a few people internally that were unsure, you know, just whether it was going to come together. Um, he showed up, worked his butt off, got better in just about every respect uh, defensively became way more consistent and um, you know, was up in the big leagues playing a really good shortstop uh, in September um, I, I will say though, you know, you kind of saw him struggle in the big leagues at the plate, uh, in his, in his brief debut. And it, and it, you know, you asked about that Corbin Carroll impact, like, yeah, there could be that kind of a player. Um, but I guess it's just, it's worth keeping in mind how rare those guys are that come up yeah. and just dominate right away. And, um, maybe Lawler could still be that guy. I mean, he, he didn't play consistently in September. It's probably not really fair to, to take too many, you know, have too many takeaways from, from that that brief stretch, but, um, it's probably more likely that, you know, he's going to take a more normal and natural progression and, and kind of need to make some adjustments and, and, you know, go up and down a little bit. They're certainly not, um, planning for him to have a, you know, meaningful role right away, uh, this off season. I mean, you've seen some of the moves that they've made, um, you know, obviously they, you know, Perdomo had a great October, um, and, and is kind of entrenched, I think, at, at shortstop for now. Uh, you know, they could have planned to shift Lawler to, say, third base, but they went and traded for Suarez. Um, and it 
you know, they signed Kevin Newman to a minor league deal, uh, kind of looking as though he is going to, uh, you know, be that, that backup shortstop on the roster rather than uh, Lawler or, or Blaze Alexander, another possibility. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's still all there. You know, I, I think it's all there in terms of a guy that could, that could hit for average, hit for power. Um, he's really fast and an incredible base runner, um, you know, said to have terrific instincts as a base runner, uh, and, you know, showed that he can play the game's toughest position at a really high level. So, I mean, that's, that's an awesome player to have, um, when it, when it comes together, I guess we'll just have to see if he ends up forcing his way up. Um, and I, I have heard them, uh, I have heard that there, uh, might be some conversations about maybe getting him some exposure in the outfield. Um, so maybe they'll try to add to his versatility a little bit. They did let him play. Like, I think it was just like one or two games at third base before bringing him up in Reno. Um, so we'll see if, if maybe they start to, you know, expose him to some different positions just to make him more of an option at, at various spots in case the need arises. Yeah. And he's one of those players. Sometimes you see guys moving around different positions because they don't really have a position. And then there's other times guys move around different positions because they're just such good athletes. They can play multiple spots and and you want the ladder and he is the ladder. And you mentioned his shortstop defense was interesting. I remember watching him his first full season. He was just so twitchy and athletic at shortstop. A lot of times he just played too fast. He needed to slow himself down, just kind of get his footwork and his arm slot consistent. And it does seem like last year he made those strides and the maturity is kind of settling in. And I think that's what's been impressive too, as we talk about, you know, the athleticism, the ability to do some different things on the field. We've seen him make adjustments. He got off to a really rough start last year in double A, found his stride midway through the year. We saw him make the adjustment to AAA in a short period of time. It seems like the mental component, the makeup component is there along with the physical component. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and, you know, for a guy that, that I, I forget the details of his struggles in, um, I think it was mostly May, uh, but he struggled bad in AA um, and managed to pull himself out of it and make the necessary adjustments. I think that shows some aptitude that, that, you know, guys are going to need to have to, to, you know, be successful big leaguers to, to make those adjustments quickly. And, and I mean, you look at his end of season stat line, you wouldn't even really know that he had that kind of a, of a prolonged struggle. I mean, it wasn't that prolonged, but I mean, it was about a month. Um, and, and he had a, he had a really nice turnaround. I, yeah, I mean, I, I just think, I just think too, the, the fact that he made such massive strides at, at shortstop that all that stuff kind of bodes well for, for his future. Yeah, no question about it. And just to kind of, you know, put in perspective here. Yeah, those first six weeks last year were really, really rough. But you look from May 23rd on, hit 304, 393, 515, plenty of homers, doubles, couple triples in there. It was all there. I remember talking to some folks. And they just felt like his swing was kind of off directionally, took him a little bit. And, and once he settled in, we saw the talent in so many different ways. Nick, Jordan Lawler is someone who is a top draft pick. Impressed right away his first full season, had a really strong second full season, got to the majors quickly. The other end of the spectrum is Drew Jones, another top pick, second overall pick in 2022. Opened his first full year at Visalia. Um, I was out there early, and you could see pretty clearly that he was significantly more raw than Jordan Lawler was at the same time and same age. His swing was was very concerning. It dragged behind him. He was late on everything. Um, he could recognize pitches and he played a good center field, but it was very clear that in the box this was going to be 
it was going to take a while. It was not going to be quick. And then he had a series of injuries where he ended up missing most of the season, came back at the end and, and finished the year strong, which was good to see. At the same time, it was it was a rough year. On the one hand, the sample size was small. He was injured for a lot of it. Plenty of guys got off to slow starts. But what was concerning was the scouting reports, both internally and externally. You know, I talked to one evaluator who just said he's not ready to be scouted. He's just so raw on the plate. A couple of evaluators spoke to internally in the D-backs org said as much that officially, you know, we're optimistic. Unofficially, we're concerned. What can we take from Drew Jones's first full season? And, and where does he stand now? Because I, I can tell you from outside evaluators' perspective, they no longer consider him one of the 100 best prospects in the minor leagues, which it seems kind of abrupt and unfair given how small his sample size was, but what they saw particularly with the swing um, raised a lot of red flags. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a little ridiculous. Uh, personally, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think like you can't take that, you can't make that kind of massive um, downgrade on a guy based on such a tiny sample size, especially when the industry as a whole um, was in such uh, agreement on how uh, on how he stacked up compared to his peers in that draft class. Yeah. So I mean, to to be a, I just feel like to be a, a a pro scout and see him for five days and think like, okay, the, there's, I I think this guy's terrible. He's never going to make it. Like it it just seems like it's it's you're not giving enough um, credit to what the guy had done previously as you know, in his amateur career or giving enough credit to what other evaluators had seen. Um, now that, 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 you know, that said, like, you know, guys do struggle and guys do, you know, fall flat uh, all the time. I mean, that, that does happen. But I think the other thing with, with Drew and you met, you hit on it all. Um, there's just a ton of injuries. I mean, the, the shoulder surgery right out of the draft, um, and the various injuries that he had um, during last season, the fact remains that he just hadn't faced good pitching uh, consistently um, in a really long time. Um, and like, I, I look, absolutely. Like I've seen the videos, like he was stepping in the bucket. He looked at times like he was afraid of the ball. Um, you know, the, the mechanics of the swing were troubling. Um, if it looks like that in May of 2024, I'm going to be very concerned. Um, and I, I think that we just have to give him some time to get out there and play and make adjustments and get comfortable. Um, and again, like I said, I, I just think like the guy has crazy tools, crazy ability. He's hit uh, on, he hit at every level, like, right. I mean, he hit against the best pitchers of his age group um, on all the circuits um, prior to the draft. And in the years leading up to the draft, um, I, I just think we have to like not overreact to the first, what, what was it that people were reacting to 75 plate appearances, a hundred plate appearances. I mean, it, that just seems ridiculous to me. And that's a fair criticism. Again, this is an industry that, um, even those in it will talk about that they lack patience. Sometimes I think one thing when he came back from uh, his second injury and came back out to Visalia at the end of the year, it was a lot better. Uh, his final two and a half weeks or so he hit 339, 438, 500, uh, nearly as many walks as strikeouts, which was good to see. You saw a couple homers. So we did see it get better at the end of the year. And I think that's something like you mentioned, if he can carry that forward in, through the off season into the start of next season, that's going to be encouraging and promising. And, and I think that is something where you say, okay, if we believe 
that what we saw at the end there when he was he was getting consistent ABs for you know even just getting him for two and a half weeks he hadn't really been getting that because of all his injuries. There was some promise there, so I think that's that's something to hang your hat on. And, and while you certainly don't want to bury him, I agree it's a little overreactionary to completely kill him. You just have to balance that with okay, there's clearly some things that need to be worked on here. Nick, we've talked about the top two prospects in the system, two really really high pedigree guys, but there's a lot of depth in the system too. It's not just top heavy. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, then I want to dive into the rest of the system with you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. All right, welcome back to the Diamondbacks Top 10 Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic. All right, Nick, we talked about the top two prospects in the system who are the big name guys. Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones, again, top draft picks, uh, guys who have, have had a lot of attention dating back to their amateur days. The Diamondbacks also have some players that have popped up a little bit. And I think, again, we talk about they've done a good job on player development um, they've had some guys that they hit on with high picks, but they've also done a good job, you know, helping guys get better and, and maybe exceed expectations. There are two pitchers who really took a jump last year. Uh, Yu Min Lin, the left-hander, Dylan Ray, the right-hander, both had solid seasons, showed good stuff where you can say, okay, there are things here that you can work with that have made them top 10 prospects in the system. Whereas a year ago, they were more in the late teens, early twenties range. Talk to me about these two pitchers. Cause, cause again, the D-backs have a good position player core, but you always need arms. And um, right now, these are the top two pitching prospects in the system. Yeah, I mean, I feel like their jumps, uh, you know, from a from a rankings perspective, had as much to do with their performances as the number of guys that were graduating from the system. Yeah. Um, but uh, that said, uh, Lynn, um, you know, Lynn was a guy that they always thought had uh, good pitchability um, and a guy that had uh, like, you know, just a, a, a tremendous, um, tremendously deep repertoire and 
I, I guess pitching acumen, I, I guess it's kind of the same thing as pitchability, but like just a guy that really understood what he, what he had and how to, to use it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he, he showed last year at higher levels. Um, I know he, he had a few rough ones in, in double a, but that's a really hard place to pitch and he still put up pretty good numbers in Amarillo. Um, so he, he showed it at, at a higher level, uh, that he can, you know, get guys out and miss bats. It's still such a strange profile. I mean, I, I don't know how many five ten, five eleven um, left-handers that, you know, sit around 90 miles an hour are really good big league starters. Um, you know, whether it's from a durability perspective or, you know, an ability to maintain your stuff over a long season, he's going to have a lot of, uh, I guess he's just going to have to break a mold, so to speak, um, show that he can do it and he can be an exception. Um, and then, you know, Dylan Ray was a guy that, you know, they saw, um, I mean, he really didn't pitch much at all in college. Uh, you know, they saw him pitch well in the Cape. They saw three pitches. They saw the kind of physical attributes of a, of a starting pitcher and a guy that was, you know, uh, often injured, I guess. I think he had a knee injury, a high school football knee injury. Um, he had Tommy John surgery, uh, and they just felt like this is a really good athlete that just needs to get, you know, time on the mound. And, you know, you saw it last year, especially in spurts where the stuff was really good. Um, but, uh, it kind of, it kind of came and went. Um, so look, the fact that he showed it, it's in there. Um, maybe having a little bit of a better understanding now of having gotten through a full minor league season, he'll understand kind of what it takes to maintain it. Um, but like, if he can maintain it, that could be a mid rotation starter. Um, so there's a, there's a couple guys there that are, that are, are interesting um, starting pitching prospects. And they kind of, they kind of need those guys at, at this point that it's starting to, to thin out with, um, you know, fought Nelson, Jameson, Henry, um, all having graduated and, and Walston right there and hasn't totally taken that step forward that they were hoping for. So um, that next wave is, is kind of, uh, I guess like, you know, they're, those guys are kind of jockeying for position to be in that next wave and we'll, we'll see who it ends up being. Yeah. And you hit on that pitching wave and, and how there's been some big name arms that have, again, it's nature of pitchers. They're as fickle as they come. You'll have a few guys end up coming starters, a few guys being relievers, a few guys that, that just don't make it at all. We, we start to see it kind of separate out a little bit. Brandon fought, as you mentioned, got hit around his first call up was better his second time through. And then was really good in the postseason. He does look like someone who can be a long-term starter. Ryan Nelson, we saw get shifted to the bullpen, had a great relief outing in the World Series, but but he struggled during the year. Tommy Henry was was solid, but uh, again, it's more of a part-time starter type of deal. And then some of these other pitchers we've talked about in years past, and Trey Jameson, really good stuff, has settled into mostly a relief role. Slate Ciccone, Bryce Jarvis, two guys who have ranked pretty high in the system in years past, made their major league debuts last year. Ciccone kind of did a little bit of both, starting relieving Jarvis's more or less a, a straight reliever now where's this organization's pitching depth and how do you assess kind of their, their overall pitching development because they've gotten a lot of guys the big leagues but the results there have been pretty inconsistent yeah i mean i don't know that's a good question um i i think that the thing that that stands out to me um is the the fact that they haven't been able to well a couple of things stand out they haven't been very good at developing uh, high school pitching really in the history of the organization. 
um, like you, you think back and I, I don't, I haven't done this, this research completely, but you know, guys that were drafted out of high school and started big league games for the Diamondbacks, that's not a very long list. Uh, Jared Parker, Archie Bradley, um, you know, guys that have actually stuck as starters. I'm not sure there's anyone. Um, and then maybe kind of, kind of dovetailing with that concern is the fact that this, this organization hasn't been very good at, uh, kind of doing what, well, just, just adding velocity period. Um, you know, getting guys into their system and looking up, a, you know, 18 months later, and they're suddenly throwing three, four, five miles an hour harder. Like Cleveland does that all the time. The Dodgers seem to do that all the time. The Dimebacks, that doesn't really seem to happen. Um, so it's kind of, I feel like affected the way that they've had to, had to draft. Um, you know, maybe you saw that a little bit in 2019 where they said, okay, let's go for the guys that have the electric stuff and we'll see if we can harness the command, you know, and, and it kind of worked with Jamison and, and Nelson, I would say, maybe not as much with Connor Grammis yet. Um, but you know, it would, it would be more, I would feel a little bit better about the system if, you know, they had a little bit more of a diverse makeup of, um, of pitchers that have, you know, graduated through the system. Um, it just doesn't seem to me that, that those guys that, you know, the, the Matt Tabers or, you know, I, other guys that you kind of, you see getting drafted, even Walston is probably an example of this yeah. that you get draft that get drafted. And, you know, all the reports are, you know, there's, there's, there's the frame to add, you know, there's the potential to add that end up, you look up four or five years later and they're still kind of sitting where they were from a velocity standpoint. That that to me is a concern. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Wallstrom because that's another player who has pretty much been a staple of their top 10 since he was drafted. And we mentioned that 2019 draft class that had seven of the top 75 picks. Uh, it was a first round pick that year, 26th overall. And as you mentioned, in lower levels, it was, hey, it's this big left-hander with, you know, fastball that you see flashes of 95 if he can just fill out maybe he'll be able to sit there big breaking ball on the one hand he got to triple a last year in reno which is arguably the single most difficult place to pitch in the minor leagues got there as a 22 year old and you know did okay a four and a half era in reno is really 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 good right. at the same time he had nearly as many walks as strikeouts he was not missing many bats at all there are a lot of considerations there. A lot of times pitchers don't attack the strikes on there like they should. You have the ABS system. So, so there's some extenuating circumstances. At the same time, he did drop out of this top 10. What is his outlook now? Yeah, well, he got added to the 40. It, it feels like everybody internally is still pretty bullish on this guy's chances to be a, a at least a, a solid um, rotational depth type of piece, if not more. Um, you know, he did what he did last year, despite like, you know, not really having his best fastball, uh, despite not having a, a very good feel for his changeup. Um, you know, it, it felt like his, his cutter, uh, was I, I, like, it just felt like everything was kind of inconsistent at times last year, based on the reports that I had heard. Um, and I, I mean, you, you talked about it, you know, I, I think it's pretty encouraging that he didn't really have much going on, right? Uh, and still uh, managed to have a four, four and a half ERA. It kind of gives you a, a feel for probably the competitor that he is um, and a, a feel for 
um, you know, just how maybe he has a, a better understanding for how to like attack hitters um, than maybe you would have realized um, otherwise. So I'm curious to see how it plays, um, you know, if he gets, if and when he gets to the big leagues. Because uh, he's a guy that that people have been kind of talking about for a long time as like, you know, they would like to see him, you know, kind of fire lit under him a little bit more. And and I, you kind of wonder like what happens when he gets to the highest level and has all those eyeballs on him. Will it will it change? You know, you, you sometimes see those kinds of prospects that they just kind of need to be at the you know challenged as as much as possible. They just need to be in the big leagues. They need to be at the highest level to kind of see that competitor come out. Um, and you know, does that does that extra adrenaline lead to a little bit more velocity? I don't know. Um, does he need it? That's another question. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a low nineties left hander, right? I mean, it the and and he's you know got a more traditional frame than a guy like Human Lin. Like that's it's not that different from Tommy Henry, who's been a serviceable back end starter thus far in his big league career. So we'll see where he, where he falls. I'm sure he's going to get an opportunity here soon. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's, he's not, he's, he's, he's gotta be somewhere there in the top eight to 10 starters in the, in the organization. So those, those guys get big league op- opportunities, um, every year. Yeah. Left-handers especially will get opportunities. And I'll certainly be curious to see what he does outside the environment of Reno, if he's able to attack the strikes a little bit more. Cause I think, again, it's very, very tough to assess pitchers in the PCL and Reno specifically. Nick, one other player in this top 10 who's who's interesting is Ivan Melendez. He was the 2022 Baseball America College Player of the Year, went out in his first full season last year, had a really, really, really just terrible April, but he started to turn it on in May, still finished with a 30 home run season, got up to double A. He's at times been divisive just because, you know, look, it's a big first base power over hit kind of bat. That pedigree has not always turned out very well when it comes to translating performance from college to the major leagues at the same time there's real 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 power there he's in the top five in this farm system now you ranked him number four what's the outlook on ivan melendez yeah i guess i should start by saying um i felt like the top three in the system you know tommy troy being third their their first pick from last year um and and lawler and jones the first two kind of fell into a natural order in my mind four through I don't even know where to draw the line. I'd have to go back and look at the list specifically, but somewhere into the teens probably could have been in almost any order. Um, and it kind of, I guess, I, I guess I landed on, I don't know. I don't know why I landed on Melendez for, to be totally honest. Like I, I think maybe it was, it was the more persuasive argument from an evaluator or two that I had talked to, but um, look like he is a, a really interesting prospect because the, the power is crazy the um you know high-end exit velocities are insane um he's shown an ability to uh tap into it in games um and yet the swing and miss is a huge concern um you know guys that punch out that much in the minors often struggle quite a bit in the big leagues but I guess the thing that I found most interesting is like you look back at some of those guys that had those huge K rates and the huge home run totals, like uh, like a, like Seuli Matias with the Royals from a few years back comes to mind for me. And I was looking at his numbers. This guy hit in 2018. He hit 31 bombs, but he also hit 231. 
Melendez, like Melendez did punch out a ton and he did hit for a ton of homers, but I think he hit 270, 280. I mean, he, uh, this is a guy that, that hits for average as well and shows some characteristics to be a little more hitterish than just a pure power, you know, a pure all or nothing type of guy. So I, I think he's a pretty, a pretty unique player uh, at, at this point. I'm, I'm, you know, curious to see too, if, I mean, look, I guess it's a guy we, maybe we should keep in mind. He did play a couple of years in community college um, you know, maybe isn't quite as refined as you would expect as, of a, of a four-year, uh, you know, college player. Um, there could be more development ahead. Um, we'll see if he can do it. I, I, I think at the absolute least, he's going to be a guy that, that just destroys left-handed pitching. That's, that's what it seems like. If he can make a little bit more contact against righties, um, you know, maybe it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, we'll, we'll see, but I, I think it's just such a fascinating profile given the, the, the batting average and, and, and power combined with, with, uh, all the swing and miss. Yeah. One of the other things that I thought was an interesting development last year is he played a good amount of third base and actually got decent reviews over there. There was right. a little bit of a sense of, he was better than expected. And does that mean he could be an everyday third baseman in the major leagues? That might be a stretch, but I think we're seeing, you mentioned that development is still coming, even though he's a college guy. If he can continue getting better there, it was fair to say people saw him and thought he had a shot if he continued to get better. So I, I do feel like if he can add that to his profile as well and give you some games at third as well as first, that's just going to help him stick on a big league roster. So I think your point is well taken that, yes, it's easy to see, oh, you know, big college guy out of Texas who's probably as mature as he's going to get and, and the skill set probably is what it is at this point. But it seems like he is continuing to develop, and part of that is his background, as you mentioned, as a community college guy. Yeah, you're right. The the defense, that that's exactly what I was hearing on the on the defensive stuff. Like I think people were like, really surprisingly encouraged by the potential for him to, to actually stick at third base um, after watching him. Um, I don't think anybody's predicting um, gold gloves in his future, but uh, to be, to be serviceable there, um, you know, if it's a, I don't know, a Troy gloss or something like that. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some, there's, you know, it's just another Avenue to get into the lineup. Absolutely. All right, Nick. So we've talked about the guys in this top 10. You mentioned there was a little bit of a scramble there from four into the teens. How do you assess the overall depth of this system? Um, I wasn't struggling necessarily to come up with guys, but it just felt like, um, you know, there were a few more players that were in there that either were, you know, straight out of, um, you know, international signings Um or we're just a little bit more flawed than maybe I had grown accustomed to with this system over the last few years. Um, you know, the first year or first couple of years, I think that I did this for, for BA, um, I had a bunch of relievers on there, um, you know, into the twenties and, you know, that's not the case anymore. So it's not like it's a, it's down. Um, but it, it does feel like there's a few more kind of like, you know, low ceiling, um, you know, high floor ish types, uh, Christian Serta catcher comes to mind as a, as a guy that maybe wouldn't be on this list in the past, but, um, you know, that doesn't mean he doesn't have, a, you know, a big league future or anything like that. 
Um, I I don't know. There, it's it's in an interesting spot. I I I kind of wrote this in that that uh, that essay that we that we write at the beginning of of every chapter that they're sort of in a little bit of a like kind of a make or break type of of year. Like we could look up, um, you know, and, and maybe. Landon Sims is throwing 96 again in, in April or, and, and, and Drew Jones is, is uh, raking again. And, and all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, this system, this system is going strong. Um, and they're going to be, I, I forget the exact number, but they have a, they have, I think three picks in the top 40 or something this year. Um, so they're going to have another chance there to, to restock big time. Um so I mean, we we could be looking up, and and they're they're ready to roll again, and they have that next wave like right there waiting. Um, but if some if certain things don't really happen the way they they would you know would like, um, there might be a little bit of a gap, and I think they're in a position probably where they can they can weather that potentially. Um, you know, it might mean uh, you know fewer trade chips or. Um, it might mean, um, you know, a little less depth in certain areas, uh, but they have a pretty good core of young players now at, at the big league level or, or very close to the big league level um, that uh, that should allow them to, to kind of, you know, uh, you know, ride this wave for a little while and, until they, you know, they, they get it built back up again if, if things don't go the way that they would like. Yeah, and that actually leads me into a good place here as we kind of move toward wrapping up. This was a fantastic run to the World Series. This was also a team that you mentioned was outscored during the regular season. They got hot at the right time. So on the one hand, there's a lot of young talent here. On the other hand, you could also see them falling back to earth a little bit. What should we expect from this team now moving into next year and, and really two, three years beyond that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think they should be contenders. I, I think they should they should be pushing for a playoff spot. Um you know, these next few years, at least uh, next couple of years, at least with, with gallon and, and Merrill Kelly, um, under contract, uh, or, you know, I think Kelly has an option. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's important that they, that they do as well. Um, I mean, this is, a an organization that has had a lot of trouble sustaining success, uh, really since the very beginning of the franchise, like outside of those first four, four or five years or so, um, you know, they won that world series in in one, um, and that, that core of players made the postseason a few times. Uh, but every other diamondbacks team, you know, it's been kind of one or done type of deals. Um, you know, they made the playoffs in 07, in 11, in 17, and then again in 23, um, you know, and, and you've seen it, uh, you've seen the kind of the, the negative effects of that in, in terms of just the, you know, where the Diamondbacks stand in like kind of the, the pecking order of, of Valley sports. Um, and, you know, we saw during those, those few weeks in October um, that, you know, people want to get excited about this baseball team. People want to, want to support it. Um, it sounds like ticket sales are, are a lot better um, heading into this year. And this is just a real opportunity for them to kind of capture that momentum and, and, you know, kind of do what the Suns have done, uh, in, in Phoenix. So, uh, you know, you got to like what they've done. Um, you know, if, if you've got gallon and Kelly and Eduardo Rodriguez and fought in, in that rotation, um, you know, the lineups 
pretty good. Um, they added a little more power with with Suarez, um, and are bringing back pretty much everybody from from that that lineup and and bullpen. Um, it's you know it it they've got a chance, so they 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 kind of need to capitalize on it. They kind of need to to um, you know to ride that that momentum as as best they can. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, they certainly have some talent in the big leagues. There is some talent in this farm system, and we'll see if they're able to capitalize on it. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate your insight as always. For sure, Kyle. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. I'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Nick Picoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. big money when you start your next project today at menards check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock ready to take home today we carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest menards you can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on menards.com save big money at menards